Hello and welcome to the podcast. Glad you are with us. We're starting a new series in the book of Joshua called I'm With You. Uh, so we're going to get right into it. And I know some people, when they, they hear the book of Joshua, they sometimes struggle with um, the image of God we get in Joshua versus the image of God we get in the New Testament. Sometimes it seems as though that these two depictions of God don't uh, line up. But I want us to, as we're going through uh, this book, uh, I want us to keep a few things kind of in our mind as we're going through the series. And the first is this, that this book is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. Right, This book is not a formula for how we are to be, but it's a description of what God does. And so you have, the, you have three central characters in the book of Joshua. You have God, you have Joshua, and you have the people of God. And it's a description of what God does through his people. And sometimes we find that he favors his people, and sometimes we find that he actually favors uh, uh, their enemies. And so this is not a book that is a prescription about how to go about conquering lands, but in fact, it's descriptive about what God does. Uh, it's it's kind of like the book of Acts in a way. Um, I, I hear there's this kind of like popular language that sometimes Christians use and when they, when they talk about the church saying that we need to get back to you know, the Acts model of church, meaning that there was this time in the book of Acts when the church was was going and we need to return and be like the church in Acts. And I and there are many things that we can reap and learn from um, the book of Acts, but the book of Acts is not a formula for us to follow. It's it's like the book of Joshua. It's a description of what God is doing. And sometimes when we try to make the Bible prescriptive, meaning that um we try to emulate what has happened. It's kind of this denial that God can do a new thing with us right here and right now. So as we read this book, uh, be reminded that this book is descriptive. It's describing how God works with with these people, what God does and, and how they live. And we can learn a lot about the character of God um, through the, the description. The next is this, is that it func- this, this book functions as a reminder to us that all of this is God's world. Everything is subject to God. Uh, Psalm 24, 1 through 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So, as we read this book and we see, wow, why is God doing that? We also have to be reminded that all of this is God's world. Uh, and and we, we get to take up residence here in God's world. We're created in his image, but we are not God and we cannot pretend to be. And so when we see God working in a certain way and, and it's outside of maybe the way we think or the way we understand Maybe sometimes we need to be reminded that this is God's world and not ours. So let's jump into it. We're in Joshua chapter 1. And uh, Joshua, he's being, um, the mantle of leadership is being passed from Moses to Joshua. Moses has died and now Joshua is is the new leader of 
Israel. And people have very fond memories of Moses because he delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt. God heard their voices and through Moses, he delivered them. He parted the Red Sea. He, uh, he gave them the law. He went on the mountain. He met with God. Moses was a dear leader. And I think we could all relate to this, right? There's been times when we've been under leadership and somebody has brought us from one point to another in our lives. Maybe for you, it's been a pastor. Maybe it has been a teacher. And and sometimes when we're no longer under their leadership, uh, time has moved on and times have changed and there's a new leader. Sometimes we, we meet that new leader with a lot of skepticism because we have such fond memories of our the past leadership we've all been there and so there's this transition in leadership from Josh from Moses to Joshua and so Joshua was Moses's right-hand man he was actually with um, Moses in Egypt he's been with Moses for a long time he's been on the mountain with Moses and so Joshua he's entering into leadership of these people who love their past leader. And so this is the words that God speaks to Joshua, starting in verse 5. It says this, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua, he's told to be strong and courageous, and it's written three times. Now, the book of Joshua, scholars believe, was probably written 500 to 800 years after the book, after the life of Joshua. And I th- and I, there's a reason why it's written three times to be strong and courageous. Because we could read this and see this transition from Moses to Joshua, and we can very easily just look over it. Like, oh, Moses to Joshua. But we all know that when we are experiencing change, when things are new, one of the ways that we deal with it is we sometimes enter into it very fearfully. We lack courage as we go into new uh, situations, right? You, you've been there before. There are times when we enter into, into newness and we don't always face it with courage, right? We, we're, we're not always strong as we go, go into it. Uh, think of when you were in elementary school and that first day of school with a new teacher, and everybody, and uh, probably even the teacher, they're all a little bit nervous about what is ahead. 
And so this is written 500 to 800 years after the life of Joshua. And so there's something important for us as the readers is that there is this natural inclination to be fearful when newness is around us, when there is change. And so three times, three times it says, be strong and courageous. Now, not only is there a change in leadership for Israel, but Joshua, he's also tasked with bringing them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and after 40 years of doing the same thing, you can probably get used to that lifestyle. While maybe the people, when they first entered into the wilderness, were a little bitter and angry, after 40 years, you kind of get used to it. And so not only are they going to go through a leadership change, but they're going to go through a change of a new way of living from being a nomadic people to actually having a place. And so so there's this call for Joshua to be strong and courageous, but it's not just be strong and courageous on your own terms. It's not pick yourself up by the bootstraps, suck it up and be strong. But in fact, God, he gives Joshua promise and he says I'm with you Joshua you're not out in the world all on your own you're not here doing it by yourself but in fact I'm going to be with you the whole way uh, about four years ago our uh, uh, oldest son he had eye surgery and um it was, you know, a fairly, like, it's not a life-threatening surgery working on their eyes. But I know as a parent, um, that kind of sense of nervousness. Because here you are, you're with your child all the time. And there was this moment I remember when he was uh, on the table and my wife and I, we had to walk away. Right? We had to walk away. Like, we've been with Rowan every step of his Life, We've been there for him. And here he is. He's going to go through um, a surgery, which for a four-year-old, that's a very scary thing. And we just had to watch, or actually not even watch, we had to walk away and wait in a waiting room. And I know for my kids and I know for myself, there is this comfort in being with your your parent. Even if it's a dangerous situation, there is this comfort, right? And this is this promise that God gives to Joshua is that you are not doing this on your own, but I am with you. I think a lot of people in uh, in my tribe as Christians in the Western world, um, we need to hear this word because we are experiencing a great deal of cultural change. Um, you know, in, in the Western world, uh, a lot of our ethics were um, in biblical principles. And and as the world um, has moved and changed, um, what we're discovering is that we have less and less influence in the world. Because a lot of people, while they were practicing biblical ethics, actually didn't have any relationship with the divine. So if you don't have a relationship with, with God... Um, why would you hold on to these ethics? And so what we've seen in the Western world is this departure from, from Christian um, 
from ethics. And so God is bringing us into this new place. But our tribe, we tend to be very fearful. That we see culture changing and moving in ways that make us very uncomfortable. And I wonder what testimony we are giving to the world when we see culture changing and leaving us and we act in fear. See, I think we need to be reminded that, yeah, this is changing. It's going to be different. It's not going to look like the way it was 40 years ago. But you know what? I'm still with you. As culture moves and change changes, be reminded that God is still with you. And I believe it's important for us in our testimony to be strong and courageous because we have this knowledge that God is present with us. And so while the world may be different, God is still present. So there's this promise that God is with Joshua in all this transition, that he's not doing it on his own. But then Joshua, he's also instructed to keep the law to keep it close to him. And and I know a lot oftentimes when we hear the word law, we think of these do's and do nots. But the word for law in this text is the word Torah. And Torah is is simply um is simply it's a description of who God is, what God is like. And so what Moses, he gets is the Torah, right? He gives it to the people. It's a description of what God is like. So it does two things. It reminds the reader, Torah reminds the reader, reminds them about the character of God. The law reminds them about who God is. And the second is that it also reminds them about who they are in the light, in light of God. And so as they face change and transition and new leadership, Joshua, who's supposed to be leading this charge, he's reminded that God is with him and that he needs to constantly be reminded about who God is. And don't we all need this reminder about who God is? I believe sometimes, I well, I believe that's one of the central um things that we are supposed to do as the church on Sunday mornings when we meet and gather, right? All over the world, people gather on, on, on the weekends and throughout the week. And there's this proclamation of the word and the word functions as a reminder to us of who God is and that we are transformed and that we go into the world and that we lived as transformed beings because of who God is. And we need that reminder, right? We need that encouragement. We need that proclamation of who God is because we are made in the very image of God. We go into the world bearing his image, but how can you bear his image if you don't know about his character? And so Torah is all about reminding the reader, the listener, about the character of God. Which brings us into um, this struggle that people have, is this idea that the character of God seems different in the book of Joshua um, as with the compared to the New Testament. And 
And I, I want us to read and look at Revelation 16. All right, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out the bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. So this sounds very apocalyptic and scary, and and so there's there's this theme that's continuous, right? If if Torah is about knowing the character of God, and we need to know the character of God to bear His image, we need to be in relationship with Him to be image-bearing creation. What is fascinating about the language that's used here in Revelation is that the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now, the mark of the beast, don't get caught up with 666 or some payment method or something. Basically, the mark of the beast is simply anything that we put ahead of God. The mark of the beast is anything that we put ahead of God that we believe gives us life, that gives us energy, that we put before the divine. And what happens is when we worship its image, it's not reality. It's not the truth. And what happens is that we actually might find ourselves suffering as a result of worshiping a false image. Compare this with Revelation uh, 19, uh, uh, starting verse 6. It says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And so Revelation 19 are the people... Are, is, is this picture it's a it's a wedding it's god and his people and and the bride of christ which is the church which is us is is dressed in in bright linen and it's a party right it's a wedding a wedding most weddings i've been to have been great parties um and and it's a celebration and there is life and there is energy and it's because it's because that god is worshiped god is are all in all. And so there is this life that that teams that 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 comes from from knowing the character of God, knowing what God is like. I want to go to John 1 1 through 5. It says this in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. That has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now the, in our English translations, it gets kind of confusing, but the word for word, right? In the beginning was the word that word word means ultimate reality. Uh, or, or some might use the word truth, but I like, I like that word. I like those words, ultimate reality. And basically what the gospel writer is proclaiming is that Jesus is the embodiment of ultimate reality. It was there in the beginning and it's here with us now. And so 
the question is, is do we experience God's judgment when we live outside the realities of Christ? When, or when we live outside of God's ultimate reality, is there judgment for us right here and right now? And I would say there is. That, that God, he sets the world into motion. It is all his. And, and we're, we live in it. And sometimes we tend to deviate. And we live outside of the reality of God. And so going back to Joshua, Joshua, what he is called to do is he is called to keep Torah on his heart. He's, he's called to, to keep the law. Don't go to the right or to the left, but hold on to it because it roots Joshua in reality. It roots Joshua right here in the present and roots him in the very character of God. And I think something happens to us when we choose to live outside God's ultimate reality that is embodied in Christ that was there at the very beginning. Um, I came across this study that showed that people addicted to porn, um, what actually ends up happening is it numbs people and makes them unable to have normal physical relationships. When we live outside of the realities of God, like what happens is we, we suffer. And it's because we choose an, alt, uh, an alternative reality which was not there in the beginning. In fact, we try to live outside the way God created us to be. And so we face judgment for that. Because we can't live in a reality outside of God's world. And so God, he created us um, to have healthy sexual relationships with our spouses. But what happens is when we abuse that, in fact, what, we what we've discovered is that it actually hinders us from having normal relationships. There was another study done about uh, happiness and money. And one study found that money can only make you happy up to $55,000 a year. Meaning that 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 when they measured people's happiness who made $55,000 and above to, you know, billions of dollars, there wasn't any measurable uh, difference in, in overall happiness, which I think is a sign that you can keep wanting more. You can keep desiring to have more and more and more and more with this belief that you are going to be happy. And in fact, it makes no difference. You've heard those stories about people who've come across lots and lots of money who've won the lottery, and they are absolutely miserable people. And what we discover is that when we go after these things that aren't going to make us happy, that are not true, that are essentially lies, we suffer Maybe that is a sign of God's judgment when we try to live outside of his reality. I know as a pastor, I watch people suffer because of their attitude towards the church. They're always angry and always bitter because the church never meets their needs, never meets their desires, their hopes, and their dreams. They always view the church as a place that, is, that exists to serve them, to feed them, to give to them. 
And they're never satisfied. They're never happy. Rather than seeing themselves as joining a people who are committed to serving and loving God and, um, uh, and, and being part of a community that is actually shaped by the character of God. You see, God will allow us to pretend like we can live outside of his reality. And so what God instructs Joshua to do is to stay firmly rooted in who he is. So he's rooted in the reality of God. So he's rooted in the character of God. When he's rooted in God's image, when he's rooted in the very being of God, when he reads the Torah and he's reminded about who this God is, he can go forth and he can be strong and courageous and he knows that God is with him because he knows the character of God. And so for us today, are we going to the right or to the left? Where are we spending our time and our energy reading? What is the char- What is the view of God that we have? Is it actually rooted in God's actual character? Or is it things that we've kind of made up? Or things that we read on the internet? Have we actually experienced the divine? So may you not go to the right or to the left, but stay rooted in the ultimate reality that is God. And God is inviting you to be strong and courageous and I am with you even when it seems like God's reality, that everything is up against it. May you know that God is faithful and true. So go and have a blessed week. Be strong, courageous. Know that God is with you because he loves you. He cares about you and be rooted in his image. Have a blessed week.